Welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture Rush. My name is Neville. And my name is Christian De Bono. And today we will be discussing a couple of video games and uh, also two TV series that we love. So, Chris, um, today I would like to talk about a game that I was pretty much obsessed with first, called Death Stranding. Ah, you're going for uh, a biggie. Yeah. And then later, I'd like to tell you about a, a show called Fargo. Cool. I'm going to talk about an indie game called Blasphemous. And then um, I'm going to talk a bit about a, a new show from Amazon Prime, uh, Tales from the Loop. So uh, I'll jump straight in. That's trending. Came out last November. It's uh, an exclusive for the Sony PlayStation 4. And it's the first time Hideo Kojima produced a video game independently of uh, of anyone controlling him. So his vision, his creativity could uh, cohere into what 100% what he wanted to do. And what he decided to do uh, was a story. It's a post-apocalyptic sci-fi slash fantasy slash drama because there's a lot of focus on character, but there's... It's for very high concept as well. From the gameplay side, it's a single player game, sort of. Uh, there are multiplayer elements, but they're very subtle. I'll get into that later. Uh, it's a third person action adventure game, I guess. There is some stealth. Uh, it's an open world with some survival and hiking mechanics. So basically you have to plot out the route where the character it's, goes. I found it very, very different from his previous series, Metal it Gear. Is. I mean, it's it a is. complete departure from... Yeah, uh, Metal Gear was more military-focused. So we'll have another episode about Metal Gear. You're quite familiar, right, with, with that series? Yes, yes, definitely. It's, uh, I think, one of... Especially the the older games, uh, the f- the first three games of Metal Gear Solid, I think are three of my favorite uh, gaming uh, experiences. Yeah, <laughs> Snake Eater especially, I think, was sort of the height of, of, of what he could do with the gameplay. Definitely, I think it's series. one of my favorite games ever. He took a lot of what he learned from that game, I feel, into Death Stranding, because it, it gives you a sort of like a box of Legos, of mechanics. And you can sort of play whatever way you wish. So you can be quite aggressive, you can be stealthy, but the focus really is, it's a very slow moving game. Uh, so even though I said action adventure, it's more of a, almost like a meditation, right? So you should enjoy it if you like, any of Kojima's previous works, though, because there's that Kojima quirk, you know? He's very quirky in his stuff. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite aspect of the old games from from MGS? I mean, the jokes, the the different ways to reach the goal, you know? Uh-huh. Even some of the bosses, um, there's there's many, many different ways in which you can face them. I think that was always really cool you know that you mm-hmm. don't have that one set way to reach the goal mm-hmm. yeah especially as as he went on 
and developed further. I mean, the Phantom Pain was pretty much that was the promise that it's a play. What do you call it? Like a playground that you can do whatever you want. Death Stranding isn't so much like that, but uh, it has the usual Kojima sort of uh, touches. So it has a strange sense of humor. The character names are really like on the nose. <laughs> uh, Does it have a very weird story as well? <laughs> it has a very weird story. Uh, so let me go into the story a bit. Um, uh, the premise is that there's a mysterious event that happened. And it caused the spirits of the dead to become stranded in the world of the living. Uh, that's the death stranding of the name of the game. And they are known as BTs, beached things. And when a living being touches a BT, it can cause a void out, which is a nuclear level explosion. So since this happened all of a sudden, there were a lot of these void outs and this caused society to disintegrate. And only a few people survived in small underground towns and isolated bunkers pretty much. So everyone's living in isolation <laughs> in the game. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> familiar. Okay, we're, yeah, for some, he did some foreshadowing. It seems. Yeah, it's weird, right? When I when this whole COVID <laughs> thing started, I was like, oh my God, Kojima, did you see the future? <laughs> yeah, and also all the delivery taking place right now, right? I mean, in the game, it seems you're delivering things. Exactly, yeah. So everyone, basically, the society becomes dependent on people called porters who are essentially delivery men who are willing to travel in this world to de- to deliver stuff and keep society from completely collapsing. So, yeah, that that is weirdly prescient. And Kojima has this tendency to sort of predict the future. I don't know maybe the way his brain works, but for example, Metal Gear Solid 2 predicted uh, the way social media would develop with memes and fake news, for example. Th- that whole game was about fake news and, and, and memes. It tends to happen a lot in sci-fi, yeah? I mean, so it's not strictly speaking just Kojima. Hideo Kojima. It, it, it happens a lot, I feel, in mm-hmm. in science fiction. There's been several writers who came up with concepts or technologies that in the end ended up happening, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so to get back into the story, uh, the one thing that Kojima was sort of criticized for was because he brought in a lot of famous actors to play the ga- the characters in the story, um, which I found to be fine, to be honest, because it was sort of a film-level quality. So you have Norman Reedus as the main playable character. They were going to collaborate on a Silent Hills game, but when that was cancelled, they they jumped on the Death Stranding. So he's Sam Porter Bridges. He's the delivery man, essentially, who must journey across this ruined Icelandic landscape and reconnect everyone to sort of a future version of the internet called the Chiral Network. And on this network, you can pass huge levels of information and, and do sort of like 3D printing in real time. So you can build bridges, you can build buildings and there's a whole system for that. So, yeah. I can see um, the inspiration from Iceland because I had been there on holiday a few years ago 
and uh, when I saw that stranding, it, it it definitely took me back to to that holiday. Mm-hmm. They recreated the the landscape, I think, perfectly. Yeah, uh, it's supposed to be the ruined United States, but it's clearly Iceland, hundred percent, very Iceland. Also, you have uh, an unborn fetus in a jar <laughs> <laughs> that's strapped to your chest. Uh, it's called a bridge baby because it can detect and help you avoid these ghosts. The BTs. There's a I whole reason. How he, I wonder how Kojima comes up with this stuff sometimes. I think he's on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> there are also terrorists who want to sort of accelerate the destruction of humanity. And there's also the ghost of Mads Mikkelsen, who's also another famous actor, who sort of sometimes shows up and chases you and you're thrown into World War Two or World War One or something like that. A bit of these weird interludes in the in the game but most of the game is pretty much just you walking delivering things and you have to sort of plot your route as i said before think of where you need to get to and uh, in the short term you have to keep your balance you have to make sure you don't fall over and damage the cargo and you can keep finding ropes and ladders and bridges and other structures that are left by other players that you use. And when you build your own, th- those things are also sent to another player's game. So you never meet other players, but you're helping other people also with the game. Because that was the idea, to connect the world. The whole theme of the game is about connection while we're at a distance. Um, something that's super relevant right now. <laughs> I have to talk about this because it wouldn't be the same game. The soundtrack. Um, He's very hands-on with choosing the music. And it's the only PlayStation game that I know that doesn't let you listen to your own music while playing. And that's because there are moments where very specific tracks start playing in the background. So you reach the top of a mountain and you see this Icelandic landscape below you. And this beautiful music from the silent poets or low roar comes and you hitch your backpack on your back and start going down and the, the camera pulls out and you're left to contemplate like, wow, the smallness of humanity when engulfed in nature. It's totally a chill out game. Like you can relax, play it slowly and just immerse yourself in the atmosphere. If you have a PlayStation 4, I highly recommend it. Next one is Blasphemous. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is a, a game that uh, I got recently. Um, it's basically a Metroidvania-style game uh, in which you are playing with the Penitent One. Uh, and the Penitent One is a sole survivor of a religious order who basically needs to free the land, Custodia, from a corrupted religion and, and its minions. It's a very violent game. I don't know if you've seen it, um, but it's a very violent game. And in fact, I, I was actually surprised that it made it to the Nintendo Switch. I think a few years back, mm-hmm. uh, probably it wouldn't have been allowed on, on, on Nintendo. Yeah, Nintendo is normally like the fun, family-friendly. Fa- family-friendly, yeah. yeah. Super definitely Mario not Zelda. Definitely not family-friendly game. I mean, I saw uh, a bit of it and I was sort of weird freaking giant baby i think and uh, the famous statue that's in the vatican the pieta like someone who was raised catholic that almost seemed bl- blasphemous <laughs> <laughs> exactly you know the, the name of the game is very apt 
And uh, what's really particular about this game is that, in fact, it, it, it uses Roman Catholic iconography. So you have shrieking nuns, demonic priests, floating bishops, uh, headless saints, walking statues, and many, many more NPCs inspired by Catholic iconography. Yeah, it's like the holy stuff we're used to seeing is perverted and... And twisted, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you, you even have uh, small executions from uh, your character to almost um, every NPC. And these mini fatalities tend to be very bloody and different each time as well. And the highlight of the game as well are the bosses and the boss fights. Uh, visually, the bosses and the fights are, are stunning. And the combat is punishing uh, and it can take you a while to win uh, against some of the bosses. And sometimes as well, some of the NPCs until you get used to them. There are also a lot of different collectibles in the games and different power-ups. Um, and in fact, gamers who are completionists um, will have a field day, you know, because um, the game can offer quite a challenge to collect all the different collectibles and power-ups in the game. In the so ages. this is how the game uh, increases its replayability. You, you sort of unlock new abilities, then you can go back to previous areas and you can collect these relics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ah, and, okay. and there's a lot. Uh, there's other um, uh, power-ups as well, mm. not just the relics. Um, and uh, I mean, the missions are very cryptic, and understanding the side missions can can be a little difficult. And and that would be my main criticism of the game. So sometimes the side missions, in which you find some of these special items, are not clear cut. At the same time, this helps build up the unease that you feel where you're tr when you're trying to find your way around Custodia, the world of mm. Blasphemous. And there are also several different environments in Custodia, usually with their own set of NPCs. Um, I mean, overall, it's an amazing pixel art game, both visually um, and also the, the violent uh, gameplay. And uh, I have read on social media that the Spanish studio, the Game Kitchen, it's a Spanish uh, game studio, they are currently working on a DLC, um, and I'm really, really curious to see where the DLC will take the penitent one. So, do you think you will buy the DLC? Yeah, I'm. I, I'm definitely looking forward to go back to to this world, you know. And I mean, it's not a game for everyone, you know. I think you really need to be into Metroidvania-style games, you know. And but especially if you've played these sort of games. In the 90s, you know, uh, then this is definitely your cup of tea. Even 80s, I would say. It's because it's a side-scroller, right? From what I saw. Yes, yes, yes. Right. So, yeah, Metroidvania are Metroid and Castlevania games, you know, so... Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, no, the, the, the way the game sort of looks to me, I think it would give me nightmares, honestly, even though it's pixel art. <laughs> the, there's that pyramid head guy. I don't know what it is about Pyramid Heads. You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, it's the main character, the penitent one. Ah, okay. <laughs> he reminds me of Silent Hill. There's a Pyramid yes, Head. Yes, yes, yes. I can, I can see where... And I saw... I think you sent me a guy who did a perfect cosplay. Yes. With, like, steam yes. coming out of his... <laughs> and yes, yes. No, that cosplay was stunning. 
if you, if we ran into him at the comic con i would <laughs> go and hide <laughs> no we'll, uh, we'll we should post that that cosplay on our page yes definitely cool shall we move to the next section right uh so what are we watching shall i start yes yes go ahead Right, uh, so season four just came out of the show. I haven't watched it yet. Uh, as I said before, it's called Fargo. Now, uh, have you heard of Fargo before? It's. Uh, I've heard. I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it yet. Okay. I, I heard the seasons are anthologies, right? They are. Mm-hmm. So originally, it was a movie. I don't know if you know this. Yes. Yes. Right. So. It's an anthology series uh, on an American TV channel called FX, uh, but you can find them in various places. So each season is a different cast and time period, and they all take place uh, around the town of Fargo, Minnesota, or North Dakota as well. So these places are sort of seen as the pit stop of the United States, like you stop there on the way to somewhere else, nothing happens there. They call them flyover states for a reason. Missouri, Minnesota, things like that. So the Coen brothers released the movie in 1996. And I had watched it in 2011. Because I was really in love with their kind of film making style. Including No Country for Old Men. The movie, it has the story of a blackmail and kidnapping case that goes horribly wrong. And there's this stoic pregnant policewoman who just keeps investigating and solving eventually solving the crime. Um, the series is not a, a remake of the movie. The main character is played by Martin Freeman, who is a pretty big actor, in the role of Lester Nygaard. He's this desperate sort of failed insurance salesman, and he feels trapped in his life. He's quite handpacked. His wife is constantly nagging at him. And he meets this mysterious character of Lorne Malvo, um, who sort of dares him to take things in his own hands and he makes certain decisions to get his freedom from this life and become rich and successful and this Malvo guy is always there in the background sort of manipulating him and he really reminded me of Anton Shigur from No Country for Old Men Uh, and every season there is this figure this evil figure who's like a harbinger of death with almost a supernatural element about him. So, thematically, there are parallels between the seasons. Between the seasons and the movie, yeah. They're more like spiritual successors, but there are also Easter eggs. So, in season two, for example, uh, it goes back to the 70s, and we see the story uh, of the father of the main police character in season one. It jumps around different characters. And the last thing I want to mention... Uh, that's two things, actually, because season three uh, is probably my favorite season. It's, it, it's the one that takes the most risks and it really departs from the movie. I think the showrunners found their voice. Uh, it's the tale of two twin brothers and both of them are played by Ewan McGregor. And he does a phenomenal job because they, they couldn't oh, be wow. more different. That's quite a big actor for a TV series. Yeah. So he plays two characters. One is a successful businessman and the other is a failure, totally jealous of his brother, blames him for everything. And it explores their feud and it's fed and the the conflict grows and they're being manipulated by another sort of devil-like figure called VM Varga. 
And it's all like this snowy aesthetic when this really oppressive music, crime and the sort of places where you wouldn't expect it. Uh, it's it's kind of my my thing. It scratches a certain itch. Mm. Cool. I'm definitely interested to watch this. Yeah, and uh, you can watch a season, and if you don't like it, you can just stop there. It's not like the, st- the story uh-huh. goes on, you know? It's a yeah, self-contained. Yeah, yeah. I like that. In fact, the, the the show I wanted to talk to you about next is also a anthology uh, series, but this is um, a particular anthology series, actually. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about uh, Tales from the Loop, which I'm... I believe you're also watching, right? Yeah, I mean, you just told me... I don't know much about it. You just told me, hey, you should watch it. I looked it up. I really liked the sort of 80s retro-futuristic mix of how it looks. So, yeah, it looks really good. Can you tell me a bit more about it? Yeah, so it's a new sci-fi anthology series uh, that was released last month on Amazon Prime. One of the first things that makes this show special is, is that it's, actu- it's actually based on an art book by Swedish artist Simon Stallenhag. And I believe he was also involved in some of the art um, design for this show. And the series takes place in a town on top of The Loop, a machine which was built to unlock and explore the mysteries of the universe. And in fact, um, each episode of the uh, the eight-episode season uh, focuses on different citizens of the town and their experiences. These citizens are experiencing things which were previously consigned to the realm of of science fiction. And yeah, visually, the show is is stunning, and uh, it it has, as you said, this amazing retro-futuristic look to it. But I think the actors as well give some amazing performances. And at times I found the performances very emotional as well. There's Jonathan Price's portrayal um, in episode four, for example. I found it heart-wrenching. But also some really great young actors that, that shine, like Nicole Law in episode three. And I, Duncan Joyner um, in, in the season finale had me tearing up. Um, has that sad but hopeful melancholy kind of feeling yes yes and the music adds a lot to to that experience as well i mean if you are looking for an action-packed series this is not for you i mean the storytelling also might be a bit slower than we are used to in in 2020 but somehow it it actually worked for me Um, The stories in the different episodes also have different links between them, Uh, but I would tell our listeners not to expect every storyline to be resolved. I don't think the point of this show is to resolve every storyline. And uh, some have compared this to Black Mirror, but I would say this show is not comparable to others and it shines on its own. And it's definitely more hopeful than Black Mirror was. Um, and in fact, if I had to describe it in a few words, I would say it's it's a poem to science fiction. I was expecting something more akin to Stranger Things because of the 80s sort of retro aesthetic, but it has nothing to do with that. Um, it's much more about character and human drama, human moments. 
Definitely, yeah. And uh, there's some amazing scenes where it's, it's just the, the, the expressions and the faces and the music playing in the background, you know? Um, uh, and, and silence can speak louder sometimes uh, mm -hmm. through, through the actors' faces. It's definitely a show that you have to focus on. Like, you don't want to watch this while doing something else. It's something you need to watch um, with 100% attention. Yeah, um, it's great right now, even if you're stuck at home. It, it gives you that sense of hope and comfort at the same time. I and think. awe. I think and, awe is the, also a word mm -hmm. which resonates a lot with this show. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, when, when you told me about it, and by the way, thank you for recommending it, because I, it would have totally flown under my radar. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Um, and even though I have a subscription, I tend to not use it that much. And they, there wasn't a lot of promotion for it because I wouldn't have heard about it, even though there are so many great actors in it. I mean, there's so much coming out at the moment, uh, both TV series, video games, that sometimes it's difficult to keep up to date as well with, mm. with everything. And I think that's also... I mean, why that's why we culture do the rush. <laughs> exactly. That's why we do this podcast to to actually highlight some things maybe that would have flown otherwise under the radar. No. True. True. Yeah. Cool. No, I, I'm so, definitely interested. Do you think you could watch the Tales from the Loop in any order, or or it's better to just because each think, episode is separate? I think you you should still follow the order because there are some subtle connections between them. Mm. Um, okay. So, I mean, I would follow the, the order. So, Neville, what are you looking forward to? Um... Uh, definitely now I want to finish Days from the Loop. <laughs> uh, okay. What else? Hmm. I'm going to have to think a bit about it. Would you like to go first? <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, the definitive edition. Actually, the the game already came out... Uh, in 2010 on the Wii and in 2015 on the 3DS. I had not played it back then, um, so this will be the first uh, experience for me. And um, it seems like they um, did a lot of work on the remake. Um, the quality has, has um, improved significantly. They remixed some of the music as well, updated controls, enhanced the visuals and it's coming out on the Switch, the Nintendo Switch, on the 29th of May. So I have ordered that already and I'm looking forward to it. What are you looking forward to? I'll have to say also a video game, uh, The Last of Us Part 2. So it's probably the biggest exclusive for the Sony PlayStation. I've been waiting for it since 2013, when the first one came out. Uh, the first one was probably the game that affected me the most in the last 10 years or so. Uh, brilliant storytelling. I'm still hopeful that the second one will continue the story of the characters in a meaningful and satisfying way. Uh, unfortunately, there were some uh, story leaks uh, online a couple of weeks ago. 
apparently they got hacked or something and I got exposed to a couple of stories, but I'm still looking forward to it because I'm pretty sure you can't capture the 60 hour experience that it will be in, in a couple of bullet points on, on a forum. I so. think it's a bit sad when that happens, you know, also for all the people who are really working hard on developing yeah. the game. Yeah, it caused a lot of controversy. Um, but personally, I'm still looking forward to it. And it's probably going to be one of the only games I buy at full price on launch this year, uh, just like I did with Death Stranding. Because these games, I would be waiting for them. It's very rare for me to buy something on launch. I never pre-order. So there you go. That's what I'm looking forward to. Okay, cool. Oh. June 19. That's the real thing. Thanks cool. a lot, Neville. Yeah, you too. Uh, have a good one. And you enjoy too. enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Take care. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Snake, do you copy? What's your status? Colonel, an invisible threat has rapidly taken the world by storm. Ordinary routine has been disrupted, and lives hang in the balance. I'm talking about COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus. The coronavirus? It's the worst thing since Fox die. Luckily, it's not unstoppable, and plans are already in place to halt its spread. First, be sure to wash your hands. Proper procedure with soap and warm water for at least 20 seconds will kill this thing. Second, stay in your quarters as much as possible. Isolation takes toll on morale, so keep yourself entertained with books, games, and movies. Better yet, make contact with an old friend on a secure codec frequency. Third, if you have to go on a field mission, be smart about it. Equip your PPE first. PPE? Personal protective equipment. A face mask, gloves, goggles. But it's just as important that you remember your training. Whenever possible, keep at least two meters away from anyone you encounter. This is no time for CQC. I would also recommend bringing a cardboard box for social distancing. Finally, save your rations for later and support your local businesses. They're hurting. Order a pizza and eat the whole thing alone. Buy two burritos. Nobody can see you eat when you eat alone. Stay safe, Snake. Complete your mission until it's a success. Over and out. Thank you, Colonel. Stay safe. Stay stealthy. Snake out.